Howdy folks, welcome to Monte Alexander Piano Room in the middle of New York City, getting warm with that weather out there and um, this is the ninth occasion of Monte Alexander blabbing about wonderful memories and a few not so wonderful and somehow I've been able to amass these thoughts well enough so I can share that because I found that people say to me, man tell us more. Tell us more. And I realize when a story is told and it's told in a certain manner, that is a joyful thing when people receive that. And it's been that way handed down through history. You know, a good storyteller, I'm not saying I am, but people say, please tell us more, tell us more. And I have this range of incredible experiences because for being a young kid from Jamaica, I had no idea I would ever have the dreams that I had come true, any of them to come true. So I consider my journey some kind of miracle, really, because I didn't work hard to get there, I didn't plan it, I didn't go to music school, I didn't go to study, because I was a terrible student. I was a terrible guy to go learn mathematics, to go learn geography, to go learn anything. But I learned about life in a way that had to do with how to best be around humanity. So now, one of the things I do in my life with this gift of music that I receive is to make it a joyful thing. It is not my job to impress people with great greatness, but to bring upliftment. The kind of upliftment I saw and experienced when I first saw my heroes of music in Jamaica, the island people playing the folk songs, that was wonderful. And guess what? The king of jazz at the time for me was a man named Louis Armstrong. I saw Louis Armstrong and he made everybody happy while he played this monstrous trumpet playing. It was incredible, right? So, but my childhood memories are a part of what makes me feel good about playing, about whatever. It made me happy as a kid, right? So, right now, I'm going to invoke the memory of a very beloved man from Pittsburgh. His name was Mr. Rogers. Now, some people will remember this sweet-natured human being who was a minister and he somehow ended up doing a television program called Mr. Rogers. And the children loved it, the parents loved it, and it was all very clean, let's use that word, and inspiring, encouraging, and warm and friendly. So Mr. Rogers was a hero for me. And he would walk into the studio and he said, Hello, will you be my neighbor? Come over to my house and... Let's talk about nice things, something like that. But it was, will you be my neighbor? So I'm thinking of Mr. Rogers. But here's another Mr. Rogers that made me happy as a kid. It's this man. This man. Nobody remembers him except those who want to remember him. His name was Roy Rogers. I don't think he was related to Mr. Rogers. But they were both men who were trying to make the world a happier place. And that mattered because it helped me to feel a happier place. So Roy Rogers, who was a guy from uh, Cincinnati, his name was Leonard Sly, became one of my childhood heroes. Not only that, but he was on that horse, trigger, he called it, and the kids would go to the movie theater and just love to see Roy Rogers, and he plays his guitar, and when the bad guys came, yes, he pulled out the six gun, and he never shot the guy, and you saw the blood. It was, he'd shoot the gun out of the guy's hand, and then he, the police would, the sheriff would get him, right? So, Roy Rogers. So, I am now going to... This is a few years ago. This is me and my hero, Mr. Rogers. 
Roy Rogers, who yodeled. Now you heard me yodeling in the past. Yodel again. That's that's yodeling, and yodeling is a part of the whole thing. But that all it's, it's all connected to when I discovered the joys of piano and music, like when I heard some of my heroes of music: Errol Garner, Art Tatum, Nat King Cole, another hero of mine. That's what got, gave me a whole musical. So you know, I'm going to take off my Mr. Rogers jacket and I am now going to put on my Roy Rogers shirt this is he says thanks for coming over will you be my neighbor you're being my neighbor I'm taking off my shirt I'm not nuts I'm just doing this makes me happy and I may even put on my belt that people ask me so what's that belt you're wearing well it was part of my fun f-u-n put on the belt when I put on the belt, I get closer to that reality, uh, that dream, right? So I got my belt. And this is not something to put a weapon that endangers people's lives. This is something to put my musical instrument in. And I put my musical instrument, and I shoot songs and notes. So now I'm in my playroom, okay? This is a part of Monty Alexander's life and world. So... Before I continue, um, I'm going to try to answer questions from, this is how Roy used to dress. Yeah, he put on his shirts. Once again, me and Roy. People have asked me to tell them stories about two individuals that were very meaningful in my life, and there were so many. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a man who was larger than life, and he was large too, in a wonderful way. His name was Oscar Emmanuel Peterson. His parents were from, were from the West Indies, Barbados, and I think the Virgin Islands, or maybe St. Kitts. You should remember that. But Oscar was this, uh, came like a thundering herd of powerful but delicate, mix it up, it's all there, profound piano artistry. They've also asked me to talk about a very important human being in the world of music. And like myself, he crossed barriers from the Jamaican experience, the real Jamaican experience, into the real world of what we call jazz, which I've been honored to be a part of that community, right? So, I'm going to take off my weapon, my peace weapon, you know, it's my peace one. Okay, we put this away, and I continue with my dialogue. So, I'm going to talk about Oscar Peterson now. And apparently through the years, people said, oh, that's Oscar Peterson's protege, or he taught Monty how to play the piano. Well, the truth is, none of that is true. Oscar never showed me anything on the piano. I would see him the way I would see Errol Garner, the way I would see Mr. Ahmad Jamal, the way I would see Les McCann, the way I would see Aubrey Adams in Jamaica, the way I would see all these wonderful piano-playing people that played with two hands, and got a sound out of the piano that drew you to the sound before they started playing lines like there were trumpets or saxophones, which was the bebop era, you know, Bud Powell and so on. So, I, um, let me, let me get my thoughts here together. So, I met Oscar Peterson, I saw him playing, and I also met his colleague Ray Brown. And Ray, who looked at me like, like his, little brother, I guess, 
He said to Oscar, Oscar, talk to this kid. He's a goofy guy. He's not uh, concentrating on the piano like he should. This is like a teacher thing. And I loved Ray, but this is, I wasn't much into that serious study thing. And I'm just having a ball with life. I love to be around certain people. I love uh, to see the beautiful ladies. What's wrong with that? I love to play music, but I'm not trying to be important, honestly speaking. No. So Oscar said, young man? I said, yes, sir. It's <laughs> almost like that. Because Oscar carried a sense of imperial nature about him. You know, he walked on the stage like this. And let me tell you, he walked on the stage like this, and kings and queens and emperors and counts and dukes, they all stood back. Said, my goodness, who is this man? Oscar would walk on with his beautiful jackets, and he set the piano and owned it. He didn't play it. He owned it, you know? And you saw it, and he was a powerful performer. Anyhow, he tried to, to in, invite me into that world. And he said, I was playing at the Hong Kong bar in, uh, no, I, he was playing at the Hong Kong bar. I had played there before. This is in Los Angeles in, in uh, Central Plaza Hotel. And he said, meet me tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Okay. And I met Oscar that next morning at 10 o'clock where, where the club was, where the piano was. He came down from his hotel room. He had on his slippers and his robe. Just about. It was really like he had just gotten up not too long before that. And he said, uh, so what's with you? I said, well, I love to play, but um, I'm not very serious about it. And I don't read music. I didn't go to music school. And he said, well, play something for me. So I started to play a song called A Time for Love. And um, I must have played about half a chorus of the song. And he says, hey, hold it. I said, that's Oscar. He says, play that again. So this so-called get-together practice learning experience turned into Monty Alexander showing Oscar Peterson a song called A Time for Love. I tell you, this is a true fact. And that was as close as I got to sharing piano playing with Oscar Peterson, one of my heroes, one of them. And um, our friendship grew because we share the West Indian heritage. And he would go into his Barbados accent. He used to come here one and talk like this and he'd go into that language and I would go into mine and I remember one sitting with him and another great West Indian American lady named Carmen McRae who was also from Jamaica and the two of them and the three of us are sitting there talking like Jamaican and Barbados and this kind of way of talking. So our friendship grew about life, about sports, about piano, about the whole scene but he was never my teacher. That's a fact. My teacher came from above. It was another world, you know, I just picked it up. I picked it up as I went along. So, Oscar was very benevolent and generous towards me. There was a recording session. He had Sam Jones, who I knew very well, this remarkable, beloved guy that all the musicians love, Sam Jones. And on a further episode coming, I'm going to tell you a lot about Sam Jones, that I really love this guy. Everybody did. Cannonball, Ladley, and I'm sure just all the scene. And, um... He and Bobby Durham, both of these men had played with me. So I just took it upon myself to go to the recording studio where they were playing. And there was Oscar. And, um, oh, hello, you know, very friendly. I was welcome, yeah. Nobody invited me, but I stuck my nose in there and I went just out of sheer enthusiasm. And he's there with the record producer from a label called MPS. Music, Platin, uh, I forgot the German um, uh, translation. But MPS was a very dis esteemed, distinguished jazz record label run by a man named Hans George or Georg Brunner Schreer. 
and he loved piano. His heroes, the people that he got to record for his label, were Milt Buckner, who played the black chords. We used to say black chords. Them some black chords, folks, because they were soulful, man. Then he loved Bill Evans. He had Bill Evans record for him. He had Duke Ellington come and record for him because Brunisphere was well uh, held. The, the pocket was thick. You know, let's put it that way. And now Oscar is there. He's, he's his favorite because Oscar tears it up, you know. And while they're in the studio listening to a track, I mean, they're minding my own business, but I just sat at the piano and started to play a tune with Sam Jones and Bobby Durham. And we're having fun. I'm trying not to knock the piano out of tune because it's the same piano that Oscar's going to have to play in, play in a little while. And they noticed me. <laughs> Hans Gorg came over and said, hey, hello to you, guten uh, tag. And Oscar started to talk good stuff about me. Well, one thing led to the other. The next thing you know is MPS signed me to a contract to record for them. And this company was based in Fillingen, V-I-L-L-I-N-G-E, in Germany, in what's called the Black Forest, or the Schwarzwald. That's how it's translated. And this was a period when, <laughs> when and by <laughs> the way, my worthy assistant, co-pilot named Miss Katarina, we call her Miss Kat, just handed various articles to me, which allows me to remember. And here, show picture. me this picture. When they put this out for PR, MPS Records, and there you have... Monty Alexander, when he was that age group of, I don't know, 29, 27, but there I am, Mr. <laughs> cool, you know, you had to open the shirt and you're standing there in Central Park, I think it was. So, that's the period. I made two albums for MPS, one in the studio, it's called Here Comes the Sun, la da da da, I'm playing for Here Comes the Sun, a popular song, I think the Beatles, right? And everybody said, yeah, that's cool, that's really good. Then I made a second album where I played the song of the Carpenters. Karen Carpenter, we've only just begun, right? And indeed, that went well too. In fact, it was hard, somebody said, that's the hardest swinging record on, on ever made. How, how audacious, but the, the critic, the reviewer said that. Me, Durham, Bobby Durham, and Eugene Wright, this distinguished, beautiful human being, from Chicago, from the salt of the earth, that senator, we called him the senator, he stood like this and he was very proper and he was so respectful to every human being and he played bass notes. And he's the man on that record when you hear, when you hear. That's called Take Five, Dave Brubank. And that senator playing the bass lines and holding it down, the groove, you know? Because 5-4, take 5, 5-4 is not normal in America. That's over there in Turkey and all the Arabian countries. They play 7-4 they play and 9-8 and 23-72 and all key signatures. We're 4-4 four, four folks. We're like 1, 2, three. <laughs> Simple. Anyhow, this second record we've only just begun was well received. The next recording, Brunescher and his family said, we want you to come to Germany and record live in the home, the studio that is very much in this black forest and um, we're going to make an album and we invite you to come but you're gonna, we'll get a bass player and a drummer for you to play with and I was very trusting because I started to get this thing called you get used to your own team of people but it was, the money was going to allow all the musicians to come with me so 
a fantastic bass player named Eberhard Weber, or Eberhard Weber, who had been playing on a lot of what you might call avant-garde, modern, mystic records. But this guy had a wonderful pulsation. And he played bass, and the drummer was a beloved drummer from England named Kenny Clare. Not to be confused with the great drummer that had played with Dizzy Gillespie's big band and then the modern jazz quartet, Kenny Clark. There's two different Kennys. In fact, they actually worked together, two drummers with a very wonderful orchestra, Francis Boland, uh, Kenny Clark band, and it was a, a, a well-respected big band at the time. So I go to MPS in Fillingen, but I'm feeling lonely. I won't say afraid because I don't know how to speak German, and I don't know anybody there. So I'm going, I don't know, how am I going to be, you know, because the big thing when you do what I do, whether you're playing the piano or we're talking to people like I'm talking right now, you want to be comfortable. So the words and the thoughts flow out of you very comfortably and you're in your better idiom, right? So I thought of one of my favorite friends, my favorite people in the world, who happens to be this incredible guitar player that I saw from I was 10 years old. And one of the reasons besides the guitar playing is just that we laughed all the time. He was always telling a joke, I was telling a joke, and we ha 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 ha, right? His name was Ernest Ranglin. <laughs> I call up Ernest, say, Ernie? Where are you going to be uh, such and such a day? Somebody, by the way, my friend Jeff Hamilton reminded me that recording was October of 1974. I said, where are you going to be in October? He said, I don't really know, you know, I kind of just relaxing on very few things. I said, please, please come to Germany with me. And the German people, MPS, okayed that he could join me on this trip. They didn't know who he was. You know, Ernie had already, and I'll tell you about when he had helped, the, the Ireland Records um, uh, owner, Mr. Chris Blackwell, do his music and all that early stuff out of Jamaica. Ernest Ranglin was because of him. So Ernie joins me in Fillingen, Germany. And we're like, where are we? What's going on? No German. But everybody took to Ernie as this sweet-natured human being and me. And we went into that home of Mr. Brunner's a very beautiful house in the Black Forest. And there were some friends of Bruno Schreer. And by the way, a lot of recordings had been made with Oscar Peterson in that very studio, on that very same piano, with that very re same recording technique that, would, that, that Bruno Schreer heard, the way that Rudy Van Gelder has a sound, and his sound became so well-respected, was Bruno Schreer had a sound that when you played certain notes on the piano, the room shook. He got to the core of the sound of a piano, where you, re you could really love it, because it was right in your gut the way the piano, and I play that piano, and there's Eberhard Weber, there's Kenny Clear smiling away, and there's Ernest sitting next to me, we start swinging folks, and the German people start jumping around, and, and I'm playing, and we made these two albums, one was called Love and Sunshine, and the second one was ex extra takes on, on this session, and they call it Monty Strikes Again. I had very little to do with those titles, but they saw me as bringing love and sunshine and, and really folks that's my mission in life is to play the piano but to bring love and sunshine for me brings you know hope and positivity and a smile and goodwill and how to look away from the dark things that happen to all of us and find find the sunshine right and the love for ourselves and for other human beings I ain't no preacher but I'm just telling you that's my philosophy right and by the way, I got it by reading a certain very, very good book. B-I-B-L-E. Translate that. So, 
here I am enjoying my third album, fourth album with MPS Records. And Oscar was such a marvelous man to me, other than an, insp an inspiration pianistically. The other people that inspired me to the, to the nth degree were Errol Garner, the great, great Ahmad Jamal, who was a man of great mystery and magic when he played. He was not like anybody else. He came with his own story to tell, and he was another great inspiration for me. So these three pianists, and a, third, a fourth man who was not known as a piano player, but it was the way he did what he did. His name was Muhammad Ali. People say, you crazy? No. Ali, the way he boxed. Okay. Long story. So along the way, I'm meeting all these terrific people. And by the way, I'm going to tell you more about Ernie. Ernie, I saw him when he was 10 years old, when I was 10 years old, and I saw this guy playing the guitar. And, and he was like also an inspiration for me, the way he played his guitar. It was like the way uh, Errol Garner played his piano, like the way other artists played their instruments. Ernie did that on the guitar. He'd play anything, anytime, anyhow. It was like a toy in his hands. He'd play, but he'd like a bird singing. He'd be down here like there was a truck passing by, exploding, boom, boom, you know. He'd do anything. And there was a smile behind it. And if you wanted to, comes that serious expression. You ever seen a Marx Brothers movie? And when Harpo Marx plays the harp, this goofy guy who can't talk, he's, a, he's, he's dumb, mute, and he doesn't say a word. And when he sits and he's joking, joking all the time, when he gets behind the harp, you, this is what you get. So Ernie had that. And I just loved Ernie when he played the guitar. And he played all by himself in the hotels for the tourists. Or be playing in the local jazz scene, which is humble, small group. And I met Ernie, and I was on a few records where I'm playing rhythm in the early days of the ska scene. And Ernie would be there, and I just became very friendly with Ernie. And I would go back to Jamaica and go visit Ernie in his home, and we'd just have a nice uh, reunion. Then years go by, and um, opportunities came up when I could get him to come from Jamaica to meet me and we would do a recording or something. Now, before I did this trip to Germany, I think it was before that, we made a third album and it was done in Kingston, Jamaica at what became Tough Gong Studios, Bob Marley's studio. Before that it was federal and the recording session, I used a word that's not normally used respectfully in Jamaica, it's called RAS. What a Ras do you, man? Ras is a beloved word. I won't go any further, but that's the name of the record. And it's me, Ernie, and some wonderful guys from Jamaica. Some of them guys smoking a lot of herb in the studio. You know what herb is, right? Okay. So we're going to make this record, and I'm and my concept is to put Jamaican rhythm into some popular tunes, including Al Green's song, Love and Happiness, you know? And Ernie doing his thing. Apparently, in years that have gone by, a lot of the young... Uh, rap and hip-hop musicians have sampled that particular recording because there was a, we call it a dangerous groove the whole time through that record. And Ross became a popular record in this beginning of jazz meeting a groove because jazz musicians are usually caught up with, I call it, above the waist, right? But this other music <laughs> is below the waist. That's where you want to groove with the music, you know? So, this was so uh, incredible. All these happenings are going on. It's like a dizzy, dizzy spell for Monty Alexander. Forgive me, I look at my little notes. Oh, as I go along, I notice 
three days ago, I was looking at a box, several boxes of my collection of photographs, which are many, 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 many. And I saw these magazines, a British magazine from 1976. And I see Mr. Oscar Peterson. There is Oscar, right? This is close enough to see. There it is, Oscar Peterson. And then the, right after that, the next one is another crescendo cover. It's Mr. Frank Sinatra, a man I had already met and played for. So there's Frank, Oscar, and lo and behold, I forgot all about this. There's you know who. That's Monty Alexander, the piano player from Jamaica, the kid. And that's me on the crescendo cover right there besides Mr. Sinatra and Mr. Peterson. And that's me going to London every year to play at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club, one of the finest venues for music where people really listen to you, even though they got beer on the table and you hear the glass clinking, clink, clink, clink. That's a big part of the jazz scene where people are sitting in a relaxed environment and they are enjoying the music, but you hear the chatter and the clink in the glass and the cash register. We used to have these things called cash register. Right? So these are memories helped along by photographs. I saw some other photographs. Here, here's me again with a hero of mine. You may have heard of Mr. Harry Belafonte. So there's Harry, the Honorable Harry, one of the esteemed men of our world that has helped to make people come together. And we need men like him desperately right now to try to address this civil unrest that's going on that started in Minneapolis. And we pray, we hope that that word that phrase that Bob Marley invoked, one love, the love of respecting for other human beings, even if they're different, can and that spirit of love, which is mainly about forgiveness. How do you forgive and move on from tension and from hatred and hundreds of years of, of bad treatment? How do you move on? Well, it's coming from a mysterious place, mystical, and it comes through prayer as well as action. And I'm just a little humble piano player person saying, I and my colleagues hope that this healing will come to that rupture that took place and is taking place right now in our beloved America. So, one vote from Monte Alexander. One love. And Mr. Belafonte, my dear friend, he has been so nice to me. And here's another important man in Jamaican culture. His name is Michael Manley. And Michael used to come and see me play the piano and it was always a thrill. So there's me, there is... Michael Manley. Where's Michael? Me and Michael. I had a picture. Me and him. Ha <laughs> ha. Disappeared. Yes. So this was in Jamaica. So he came to a concert I was giving and uh, nice to see him and of course political things I don't much know much about that. I'm playing play piano. Okay. So just to share that. So now go back to Ernest Wrangling. One in a million and the, trouble, the problem when you come from Jamaica, the music there, 90% of the folks are not aware of the subtleties and the inner motion of what we call the jazz world. Because it's a totally different set of principles than what came out of the studios in Jamaica. It has some of the borrowings of, of um, the jazz scene, but Jamaica comes from a different standpoint. And I would, I would just say to you that... Um, that's a, that's a, oh. The cuckoo clock. <laughs> that was a cuckoo clock, by the way. <laughs> so Ernie is playing with me. The people at Norman Granz's record company called Pablo, which was named for Pablo Picasso. 
and he was a big art collector, Norman Grants. He had been friends with Nat King Cole, who convinced him to do something called jazz at the Philharmonic, trying to get respect for this music called jazz, which was born in the fields and in the basement and places that normally don't get respect from the, the ex, so-called experts. So Norman Grants heard him playing with Monty Alexander and he thought that this guitar player would be an excellent uh, colleague for Oscar Peterson's combo. We're talking about Ernest Wrangler. You know, that's a tall place of honor to play in that legacy which brought Herb Ellis and Barney Kessel and all these other great people played guitar rhythmically came from Nat King Cole, the trio of just guitar, piano, and and bass, right? But Ernie had a manager, and sometimes we have a word that I heard a Jamaican say, that the manager turns out to be a damager. He ain't no manager. He damaged what you're trying to do. And in this case, this gentleman apparently damaged the situation. And Mr. Grants called to make an, an arrangement that Ernest could come and perform with Oscar Peterson. That would have given him another level of respect, right? So this person said, What your name? What you say your name is? And he says, I'm Norman Grant. This is the manager for Ella Fitzgerald and, and Oscar Peterson, and he works with Duke Ellington. He's a very distinguished gentleman. Norman Grant. He is a very important helping musicians of color receive their proper respect in other situations where normally it would happen. He was very beloved by 99% of the guys. Sweet Edison loved him. Clark Terry liked him. But the rich liked him. Everybody gave honor to, to Norman Grant. So this guy in Jamaica said, What is your name? He says, I'm Norman Grant. So, well, we never hear your name. We don't know, know why you do. So, so it's it not, it not doing earnest no good. This is Ernest's manager, damager. And that was the end of that. Norman Grant said, Click. So Ernie was this diamond in the rough and i mean rough folks because rough is when it gets rough you know and we had hoped that this guy would have known that norman grants was coming from a level of being a distinguished man that was doing the best for this music greatest american gift to the world not coca-cola not baseball i say jazz <laughs> okay so that's some early Ranglin memories Later on, we made a lot of recordings. There are pictures of me and Ernie, just our friendship in full bloom. Me and Ernie. Ernie liked the cowboys too. So I said, Ernie, let me take this picture. I put on my very belt you just saw me with. Hey, where's the belt? There it is. And that's me and Ernie on a Kingston roof. There's a color version. Thank you, Cat. Thank you very much. Me and Ernie on the roof. And I want to give credit to this wonderful, gifted, brilliant photographer sadly who left us on this earth went ahead as we say in jamaica his name was peter rickards peter rickards took this photo and it's the kind of picture hey i gotta put this up on the wall somewhere near mr sinatra and mr cole on them kind of places so there's my wall hey another picture of Bernie. Now, this is a funny one because i'm looking at Bernie. what's he up to i'm saying what's Bernie up to because he, he he was like a fox you know so these are early pictures as i ramble along in following weeks, hopefully next week, I'm going to share incredible memories of my relationship with two wonderful human beings who today are still thriving and being the best example for younger people because this music has to be carried on. Now me, not having been to school, I don't think I have the chops to be a teacher. I've been approached by a young guy said, Mr. Alexander, do you teach? Do you give lessons? I said, man, I don't know how to teach. What am I going to tell you? Like, you know, spray a lot and play 
whatever, you know. So, but these guys who went to Indiana University in the beginning of a fabulous friendship, John Clayton, you heard of him? Jeff Hamilton, one in a million. He's a disciple of the greats of, the, of drums, as is John of, of the great bass players and arrangers of music because he's a, he's a double, triple threat, teacher and uh, master, arranger, composer, and bass player. He's a descendant of the great Ray Brown and Jimmy Blanton, John Clayton. And here we are laughing our heads off at something Jeff is doing, and this is going back to the early, mid-80s. Our relationship started in 1975, 76, just after my Love and Sunshine record. I know I'm talking a lot. My thoughts are coming fairly well. And I want to give a shout out, I we say in Jamaica, I'm going to hail up. May I hail up? Yamaha. Y-A-M-H-A-A, -A -A, if you spell it backwards, is Ahayam. Ahayam, Ahame. A-H-M-A-Y. Sometimes I look at it upside down and say, oh, I'm playing a Ahame. You know, my mother's name was May, by the way. Me. Huh. So thank you, Yamaha, for all that you've done for people like me who play pianos. And I have been with other piano companies before. Wonderful that they are. Absolutely wonderful because they're all good. They're all good. Ozendorfer, all the rest of them. Yamaha has a wonderful way to treat the artists you know, and supply the instruments when we need them. Thank you very much, Mr. and Mrs. Yamaha, I guess. And somebody asked oh. what piano it is. Because it's plugged in, yeah, but it's plugged in, so it has this function where you can okay. plug it because it's been out of tune and we're working out how to tune it. So, you want to talk about the electric thing? Yeah, there's a phenomenon that started maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago where they could electrify, to use a the word, they put a, 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 a little system here and you can plug it into an app and you can play it like if you're in an apartment like we are and it's three in the morning and you really, really, really want to play the piano and not hear the real way of hearing it like when Brahms and Beethoven and Mozart played the piano and it was all acoustic. The strings, the wood and the air before microphones were invented. That's the real piano. But then electronically it, it can boost the sound so you can put on headphones and it's a marvelous innovation. And in fact, years later they, they, they made a piano that could record and in fact, there are, there's a Yamaha recording of me along with some musicians, uh, Ray Bryan, Junior Man, Cedar Walton, Cedar Walton, where I'm playing the Disclavier. That's what it was called. And um, I have to say, that's, that was quite, a, quite an innovation. So Yamaha came up with this thing, and in fact, if I put away all these lovely items, Ernie and Monty, in color, some kind of strange color. <laughs> the machine didn't do well on that one. So now, uh, and also, I'm going to tell you about a wonderful thing. I'll talk more about it towards the end of the program, which will come very soon. It has to do with me being on the wonderful television cable channel, TCM. The invention, the innovation of Ted Turner. Turner classic movies that a lot of people enjoy seeing the great classic movies. Just the same way I heard the early jazz recordings and you know because movies were a very important thing to me in my development because it helps you with this thing called dream and fantasize and imagine you not only hear this music and sometimes the most wonderful composers from Europe performing pieces musicians who had played the great classics they were writing the arrangements behind these movies beautiful songs and that was a part of my growth as a kid going to the movies uh, you know, after I graduated from the Roy Rogers and the 
local calypso songs with two or three chords only. And you heard this music coming from the screen. So I once wonderful. And I go home and dream, try to play stuff like this, and because it had to do with harmony, the way you string notes together, and that they could work with each other in a harmonious way, and it just increases the deliciousness of what the, the melody could. You got you want to sweeten it. You want to put some pickled pepper. You want to put some sweetening. I'm putting all these harmonies and colors, a little orange, a little green, a little yellow, a little blue, a little this, that, and that's the end result. And that's what makes us players unique from one another because Bill Evans would have played it this way. Um, 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 the different musicians, gonna, Ernest Ranglin is going to play it a different way. More Ernie and Monty. Ernie and Monty, here we are, having fun somewhere in the world. I don't even know, but we had a ball, me and Ernie. So, that was a little demonstration, and um, I'll talk next week about my good relationship with John Clayton and Jeff Hamilton, the wonderful recordings they made that people to this day say, that's one of the best records I ever heard. And that's what they say. I didn't say. So next week is your birthday. Next week is my birthday. Yes. I'm going to be 29 years young. No, 39. Yes. No, what? <laughs> 76. Yes, it's a young age. And um, that coincides June the 6th is that day. And on June the 8th, and on June the 15th, Marty Alexander will be talking on TCM with my friend, Mr. Eddie Muller, who has been doing a great job of corralling all the great film noirs, these great movies with Humphrey Bogart, and uh, Dana Andrews, and Dan Duryea, and Lana Turner, and all the classics, Kirk Douglas, beautiful movies. I'm going to talk about some of the greatest films that inspired me also that had jazz as a part of the whole story. So, a lot of talking, and it'll be big fun. So I encourage you to check us out, check me out, talking about jazz in the movies and the life of a jazz musician, according to these films, because there's no one life. It's all kinds of things. So, jabba, 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 jabba. I love jabbering, as you can tell. And um, Ernest Ragland, on another further week, this is a record of mine that just came out, the last recording, which is the 76th album. Hey, the 76th album. Yes, really, really. And it's my record that I took the songs of Thelonious Monk and I took it back to a basic origin where the rhythm that you're hearing has been, let's say, magnified because it's all coming from what we call island, the islands, the rhythms of the islands, which is basically coming from West Africa, that place, that great place. And um, I took classic songs of Monk, because, you know, Monk grew up in a West Indian neighborhood from he was five years old. So, so you heard the people around him not talking like this. Hey, how you doing today, man? What's happening? Then I talk this way. Jamaican and Barbier, and that's what Monk grew up with. He learned to enjoy the West Indian food, and his musicians, his contemporaries, including Sonny Rollins, and many others were West Indians. Their parents were, at least. So there, it's just coming out on vinyl. V-I-N-Y-L or V-Y-N-I-L, not sure. And that's a prettification of Monty with gray hair, a red jacket, and colors. The man, great man that did this thing also worked for Carl Santana, Mr. Rudy Gutierrez. Hear up, Rudy. Welcome, Rudy. It's great to show this. Promotion time. And Last Hollis King, the design. And this, the great art director, Hollis King, a beloved brother from Trinidad, who did a lot of work for Diana Krall and Natalie Cole and beautiful box sets 
for Universal Record Company and many, many men, and he did put that together. So now, we're talking about Ernie, and a very important couple of things I want to say. We lament the loss, sadly, of a wonderful musician, Jimmy Cobb, James Cobb, came from Washington, D.C., and he had a way of stroking the cymbal and feeling the rhythm and the, the beat that when he hooked up with Miles Davis, it took Miles to another level of expression. And um, we lament the departure of, of Jimmy, who I had the joy and honor to play music with. We went up to Rochester to play a gig way back in 69, 68, maybe 67, with a wonderful bass player. You know, everybody wonderful, right? But really true. John B. Williams. I heard him play the bass. He was with Horace Silva. And he got a job at Sam Goody's selling records. Sometimes you can't play, you got to get a job. And I went to Sam Goody's and I said, John, me and Jimmy going up to Rochester because Winton Kelly cannot be there. The great Winton, who, I, by the way, was Jamaican, born in Brooklyn. And, and I said, no, man, I, gotta, I don't know if I can get off. I have to work for Mr. Sam Goody's. Sam Goody's. I said, come on, man. And I convinced him. Believe you me, I talked him out of it. And he and I and Jimmy went up to Rochester to play this gig. The Depot was the name of the club. And the week went by, maybe five days, and at the end of the week, guess what? No money. The word is reneged. The proprietor, the manager, the club, as I understand it, did not pay the band. And you gotta pay the band. Jimmy Cobb rests his soul to tell you how great he was. He said to me and John, he said, guys, I got burned, but I know you both have commitments. Monty, you have a commitment to go to. I encourage you, I insist you take the flight back, I'll take the Greyhound bus. There was not enough money. We played there for five days and the turnout was really good, even though Winton Kelly was not able to come and a lot of people didn't know me. But I assure you, we were swinging and it went beautifully. But the, this is what happens in every business when people say so-and-so and they do other stuff. And that hurt us all and made me, when I, if I ever talk to a music student, I'm not going to tell them how to play the piano because I don't know how to play the piano. I just seem to have a way. I'm serious. I didn't have no technique. I don't know the name of the chord sometimes. I just play. And um, my gift is, a, is, of a, is, a, is of another nature. I had a point. Slip my mind. But... Jimmy Cobb, we miss you. God rest your soul in the journey that you have are on now to the great hereafter. Jimmy Cobb. So I have my notes, lots and lots of notes. And um, Ernest Ranglin helped Chris Blackwell in the beginning with the whole scene of the reggae scene that included when Bob Marley came along. And the first big hit recording for Chris Blackwell, who had already recorded Traffic and, and uh, Cat Stevens uh, in England, because he was British-born, was his a real realization that Bob Marley was not just another guy playing a guitar, but this guy was coming from a higher place, and he was an incredible songwriter, and he was given songs that had to do with integrity, self-respect, and as you know, Bob Marley has become a strong part of the world that has to do with respect, self-respect. So, Chris Blackwell recorded a lady that also just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Her name was Millie Small. She was about 17 years young when she recorded this little song. And Ernie came from Jamaica to play and organize the rhythm, the arrangement, 
And um, and here is where I'm going to do. We're going to change the scene a little bit and invite co-pilot, co-assistant, number one person, my dearest love. Yes, ever. Here is Katerina, Miss Cat. And we hit that button yep, yep. and hear an interpretation of a guy from Jamaica singing. As time goes by, we're going to turn it up nice and loud. Then it's Arturo Sandoval is playing the trumpet with the performer. And it's called As Time Goes By. Is still a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say, I love you. On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Cuban guy playing the trumpet, a Jamaican guy playing the piano, and guess what? Vocalizing too. I had the nerve. <laughs> as Marty's singing, as time goes by, here's looking at we're gonna close. Shall we do a little bit of a goof laugh, babe? To show that if you're feeling a little down, depressed or something. Force yourself to laugh. We do this. We do this, we do this ago. We just laugh. <laughs> We're not nuts. We're not nuts. <laughs> Bye.